Hi, welcome to Richard Bay Talk. All right, I, I won't be showing that video again, which has been playing constantly, and that's the video of uh, the murder of uh, Tyree Nichols in Memphis. Uh, I, I'm sure everybody in this country has seen it, except for Albert Reynoso, my producer, who doesn't watch the news. So I'm not for that very reason. All right. Well, I'm not going to air it here just for your benefit. Okay? I don't want to see it. That's why I don't okay. watch the news. All if right. I see something violent, I'll go to the movies. Well, I'm not going to air it on this podcast again. And, um, uh, but I am going to air some videos that you probably haven't seen. Uh, I will air this picture, though. This is Tyree Nichols in the hospital. Um, after the beating that led to his death three days later. Uh, he was uh, 29 years old. He worked at FedEx with his stepfather. And as he was being beaten to death, he was only 80 yards from his home where his mother was waiting for him to return. And in the video, you, of course, hear him screaming, Mom! Mom! It's any adjective I could use. Horrific. Um, awful, bestial, inhuman, any, and it would almost be a cliche at this point. And I'm sure everybody has seen the horror of it for themselves. Um, so I'm going to show you some different things in the alternative universe, how they reacted to this video. Perhaps the most egregious thing of all was, and, and I do this all the time when there's a breaking news story, sometimes I flip to Fox News to see how they're going to cover something like this. And it was it was shocking. Perhaps the most shocking thing was to see Tucker Carlson going, the same people that are weeping over what happened to Tyree Nichols, uh, they don't care at all about the murder of Ashley Babbitt by Nancy Pelosi's cops uh, in the U.S. Congress. First of all, it wasn't a murder. This had its origins in banality. He was pulled over for a traffic stop. A traffic stop. They said he, he wasn't even speeding. They said he was driving erratically. What does that mean? He crossed a, a dotted line? And if you've seen the video, the fact that this sort of violence and hostility could spring from something so, so banal, so inconsequential. That's mind-boggling. So first, uh, there was Jesse Waters. Um, they blamed police reform, that the cops are hamstrung, that uh, if they could have put a, a knee on this guy, he would have lived. <laughs> Come on. They blamed diversity training. They blamed young black men supervised by a single black woman. They even suggested that Nichols was on drugs, uh, which was the excuse they made for George Floyd, of course. And there is no evidence that he was on drugs at all. Uh, but here's some of what I found on Jesse Waters with a New York City police officer. So we don't know the toxicology report. We don't know if this guy was on something that they hit him with the pepper spray and it just didn't really affect him. And we don't have an autopsy from the city, an official autopsy. 
immediately, you know, I didn't see any any death blows. Maybe it was an accumulation of blunt force trauma to the head. Um, did you see anything that told you that was it? No, I didn't see anybody, you know, stomping on the guy's head, you know, kicking him in the in the face. I didn't say any of that. To your point, that may have been a mitigating factor. Yeah. Again, it's incredibly hard to watch. Um, not good training. Well, we hold police officers to a much. You didn't see anybody hitting him in the head. Uh, then you didn't watch the freaking video. Two cops were holding him while another one kicked him in the head. It happened. It's in the video. And most of you have probably seen that. Now, after Jesse Waters uh, with uh, this New York City cop who was saying, oh, well, you know, we can't um, we can't put a knee on people anymore. And if they could have uh, put a knee on them, then this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I mean, it's it's bizarro world, folks. And then it was followed by even worse. Tucker Carlson, who, as I said, equated this uh, to the uh, killing of Ashley Babbitt, who had a crowd of about 300 behind her, who were screaming to murder people in Congress and smashed a window and was leading them in and a, a Capitol Police officer shot her. Uh, he's equating that with this guy who was stopped for a traffic stop. But here's Tucker Carlson with other comments. Of course. They're all lying. And Joe Biden himself, the president of the United States, swiftly reinforced that lie. Referring to an event in which every single participant and their supervisors was the same color, Biden lectured the United States that, quote, fatal encounters with law enforcement have disparately impacted black and brown people. So the one thing we know, no matter how you feel about the video, and most people don't think that's right. But the one thing we know for sure is that there is a highly aggressive propaganda campaign underway tonight designed to manipulate you and using the sad death of a young man in Memphis to do it. That propaganda campaign, like all propaganda campaigns, is by definition dishonest. But it's more than that. It's worse than that. This is yet another attempt by our leaders of our country to inflame racial hatred in the United States. So the let's abolish the police idea was as stupid and deadly as it seemed. That has not stopped professional political activists from trying to bring it back. And as we told you, riots unfolding tonight all over the country. Uh as we told you, uh, riots tonight are unfolding over the country. At another point, he said, we'll continue for the duration of the show to monitor the riots that are unfolding across our country tonight. Gee, I must have missed those riots, didn't you? There were no riots. It was a way for him to drag Antifa into the conversation, which is the bete noir of Fox News. Um, if anybody was inciting violence, it was Tucker Carlson. Uh, the only riots that existed were the riots that occur in his fevered brain somewhere in the back. Um, I don't know what to say after that, but it, 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 this whole thing reminds me in some ways of what happened with Abner Louima in New York City. If you remember that, Abner Louima had a police officer shove a baton up his rectum, 
causing very serious internal damages. And I was on, I think I was on ABC radio at the time, or if not, I was just listening. But Sean Hannity every day was, he had the police officer's father on and they were talking about how he was innocent. And there were allusions to the fact that Abner Louima had his uh, rectum um, destroyed because he was gay and he had been at a gay bar and had anal sex, of course, in the end, after the police officer uh, confessed to this, and there was another officer who stood guard while it happened. There was no apology. There was no on air admitting this grievous mistake. The man who was in the hospital was called Lying Luima. Nobody, nobody ever had to pay a price for that terrible misrepresentation of fact. And it's pretty much true today. Uh, the same thing happened with the um, with the attack on Paul Pelosi. Someone broke into his house, smashed his head with a hammer. He still hasn't fully recovered from the injuries. He was in the hospital for a while. The guy is 82 years old. And immediately after it happened, once again, it was the gay excuse. My God, can they find some way to link Tyree Nichols, um, his, uh, his murder, to gay involvement? But uh, Paul Pelosi was gay. You, I, I, immediately after that, on all the websites they were talking about, oh, he knew this guy. There was no forced entry. Well, now there is video of all this. Uh, and uh, we know for certain that this guy attacked Paul Pelosi for political purposes. How do we know? He himself has now said it. He wasn't his friend. It was a forced entry. He's not a leftist. Listen to his phone call that he made to a San Francisco news anchor. So he's referring to the quote one of the founding fathers made, the tree of liberty needs to be watered with the blood of patriots. A very uh, uh, oft-repeated and favorite tweet of the same people who carry the live free or die uh, banners, the, the Gadsden flag with the rattlesnake, don't tread on me. That's what it is, uh, not, not live free or die or die. Um, it, you know, it's obvious who this guy is, what he was about, that this was a, a political attempt at an assassination. Where are the apologies today? Adam Kinzinger, you may remember the Republican who was on the January 6th committee, sent out this tweet today with a list of all the people who made allegations about Paul Pelosi 
and the fact that this might be, have been a gay assignation, that we didn't know all the facts, that this wasn't clear. Well, it's clear now, you guys. Adam Kinzinger says, hold them accountable. Well, when do we get an apology? As someone famously said, where does Paul Pelosi go to get his good name back once he gets his health back after this attack? All right, so it's um, it's a different world out there. And I think I've shown you some clips and some information you know, that maybe you haven't seen ad infinitum over and over again on the uh, on the news. Um, but this week as well, something, you know, on a lighter note, the Academy Awards were announced. Now, people say nobody cares about the Academy Awards anymore, but people do care about movies. Even if we stream them these days rather than going to a movie theater. Uh, you know, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the movies. You know, back in the day, they used to have somebody in the movies, believe it or not, who, I mean, I think it was, it was, I hit about just the tail end of it, but there was a person there, an usher, who would have a flashlight and in the dark would show you to your seat. My grandmother was what was called a matron. And my mother worked under her as an usherette. And when my father came back from the Army Air Corps, during World War II, his mother wanted to throw him a, a welcome home party and she wanted to have pretty young girls there and she invited my mother. And that's how my parents met. It's because of the movies. Now, because my mother and my grandmother both had worked in the movies, we had three movie theaters, three movie theaters, all within like the same block in Far Rockaway, the Picks, the Columbia, the Strand. Some of them, the Strand was gigantic. Now, uh, because of uh, the employment of mother and grandmother, I was allowed to go to the movies for free. <laughs> it was only like a quarter or 50 cents, but I'd have to walk in and ask for an okay. So I used to go to the movies every week. I saw Robinson Crusoe on Mars, and I saw it three times on Saturday and then another three times on Sunday. I saw Goldfinger six times. I would sit in that movie theater and watch the movies over and over again. The first time I thought about death and its finality was watching Tarzan's Great Adventure. Uh, there was a great white hunter who was trying to shoot him and he dived into the water and he couldn't come up for air. Uh, so he could drown. And uh, I forget how it ended, but I said, oh, my God, if he comes up for air, he gets his head shot off. If he doesn't, he'll drown to death. And if you're dead, it's forever. I can still remember that. That was the first time. The first time I realized acting in a movie wasn't real was when I saw old Yeller and I was crying my eyes out. And my father said, what are you crying for? I said, he had to kill old Yeller. And my father said, no, that dog is still alive. He's trained to play dead. And I said, you mean he's still alive? No. Yeah. That's what actors do. Even when they're dogs. The first time I think I heard about being gay was, and I don't remember the name. It was a Dirk Borgard movie in black and white where he it was a British movie and he worked for the government and uh, 
either somebody was blackmailing him or if the government found out, they would fire him. So the movies uh, play a, a pretty big role in our development. And as I look at Facebook, people are still, uh, you know, um, very interested in movies. Now, The Banshees of Innersion was an Irish movie or is an Irish movie nominated for an Academy Award. When I saw people talk about it on Facebook, they were saying, oh, this movie's terrible. It mocks serious mental illness of depression. Uh, another, It just left me cold. The acting was good, but what about this story? I, so I didn't go to see it when it played in the movie theaters. But I am in Screen Actors Guild, and we have Screen Actors Awards, so they send me DVDs of all the movies nominated, or they allow me to stream them at a special site with a password on the internet. So I watched Banshees of Innersion, and I thought it was fabulous. Albert, I even recommended it to you, right? Yes, you did. And you liked it. I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. I thought the right. acting was great. The cinematography was fantastic. It's a quirky movie, certainly with a kind of a strange plot, but it'll keep you till the end. And I've heard other people who watched it say to me the same thing. I didn't know what to make of it, but I watched it till the end and it was interesting. And they talked to me about it days after they'd seen it. So that's a good movie. Well, to me, what the movie explored were the seeds of banality that lead to outrageous violence. And whether it was on the mainland where the Irish were fighting each other over political power or these two guys, mm -hmm. it's and here we are with the banality, the seed of banality, a traffic stop leading to one of the most brutal video murders people have ever seen on their television screen. So I think it has <clears throat> relevance um, that is important and the acting is great. Colin Farrell plays a simple man without being a simpleton. And the kid that plays the simpleton wow. is just extraordinary. Brendan Gleeson is always mm -hmm. fabulous. Now, um, Tar, on Facebook, people were saying, I couldn't stand this movie. It was so pretentious. Well, I think the movie is about pretension. It's about what happens when you start to believe the pretentious image of yourself as something that is true. And that pretentious image that you acquire becomes like a cage. And eventually, it can lead to destroy you. And that very last scene in the movie is where, I won't tell you what it is, but it's where she pays the price for believing in that uh, pretension. Uh, what else? Uh, Avatar, Way of Water. I saw that. I said the first hour I was going, oh, oh my God, what is he doing? He's making the same movie again. Then the second hour, it became very interesting as they went to a different place and there were different themes explored. And the last hour, I thought, is one of the most masterful editing jobs uh, of three or four different um, um, dangerous crucibles that are interspersed together and and create a rising rising tension in the movie it's i and i'll, I'll tell you this it's one of the there's only two movies i've ever ever seen where 3d really works and in this 3d you're really transported to another world
The other movie where I thought it worked was Gravity. Everything else was just a waste of time. So listen, that's my opinion. I'm not a film critic. But remember the time when we had film critics on television? And they were kind of important. Now, do you remember this or this? <laughs> thumbs up and thumbs down from Siskel and Ebert. Two guys that didn't seem to like each other very much or agree on what they saw in the movie theater. But Roger Ebert, who has passed away, there's still a movie review site, and it's very good, called Roger Ebert, where other people fill in. Now, in 1987, I had the opportunity to sit down with Roger Ebert, and I asked him one question. If you were on a desert island, what three movies, on videotape, of course, would you want to bring with you? And you want to know something? As I watched this, I said, those are pretty damn good choices. Take a look at this. I felt that Francis Ford Coppola is a great director. Yes, I felt he was directing with one hand. Mm -hmm. It was like watching Chopin playing yeah. a one-handed exercise. Uh -huh. Would you like Gene Siskel's job? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. But thanks for joining us here this morning. Of course, here's a familiar face, Roger Ebert from uh, Siskel and Ebert and the movies. This morning, it's going to be Ebert and Bay and the movies next on People Are Talking. Good morning, Philadelphia. This is People Are Talking with Richard Bay. Good morning, I'm Richard Bay. Welcome to People Are Talking. Roger Ebert. Even backstage when we were talking about movies, you're the, everybody wants to talk to you about the movies, I'm sure. That's right. You know, when I got the job at the Sun-Times 20 years ago as a movie critic, the woman who was retiring said, the best thing about leaving this job is that nobody will ever again ask me if I've seen any good movies lately. <laughs> You're linked with Gene Siskel yeah. on the show, mm -hmm. uh, where you guys are not at the movies anymore, you were and the movies. Siskel now. and Ebert and the movies, yes. The names are alphabetical, according to Gene. <laughs> Does it bother you? Do people get you mixed up? with? Do they say, hey, Gene Siskel, which one are you? I'm Sometimes they call me Siskel, and then I say, no, I'm Ebert. And they say, oh, yeah, you're the other one. And I said, no, he's the other one. <laughs> but usually people can't tell us apart. Does it ever bother you? Um, it wouldn't it bother you? Yeah. You guys really get miffed at each other. If you disagree, I mean, it seems like we you do get very sometimes. passionate about yes. it. Yes, we have been uh, professional competitors for about 20 years, uh, 18 years. And Gene works for the Chicago Tribune, I work for the Chicago Sun-Times. Until we started doing this format together about 10 years ago, we were not on speaking terms. And uh, we do respect each other now, and there's even friendliness between us, but we are not best friends, and we never would be. And if you look back at some of the, uh, I don't want to compare us necessarily to Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy, but they never got along <laughs> either, because in a way, the two of us are quite different personalities. Do you ever change? each other's minds while you're... Wh that while has you're... never happened. It has never, never happened. Never happened, no. Although his mind did change once, and I always call him on this. He now thinks <laughs> Apocalypse Now was a very good picture by Coppola, the same man who directed Peggy Sue. And when the movie came out, he didn't think so. These days, a lot of people are choosing not to go to the cinema and mm -hmm. pay the money and get hit on the back of the head with popcorn from the balcony and yeah, people well. screaming and mm -hmm. cheering at the screen. But they do stay at home and watch movies on video cassette. And you have written Roger Ebert's Home a movie home companion, the 1987 edition, where you rate video cassettes. If you were on a desert island with a VCR, what three cassettes would you bring with you? I would bring Citizen Kane, The Third Man, and Singing in the Rain. 
Singing in the Rain. Mm -hmm. huh? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that, that's quite a diversity there. These are all movies from the 40s and the 50s, though. Uh, do you think movies were better then? The movies uh, those movies were very good. If you wanted newer movies, I'd probably take along something like E.T., maybe 2001, maybe Taxi Driver. Do you think the movies like were better that. then, though, than they are now? Uh, no, there were a lot of movies then, and we don't see the bad ones anymore. You see, as a movie critic now, I see all of the movies coming out today, but I only see the best movies from the 30s and 40s, so there's a built-in uh, selection process going on. Those are three great movies that he mentions, and you know what? <clears throat> After thinking about it, I'd, I'd have to agree. Um, and the, th the Third Man is one of my favorite movies. Felt... Citizen Kane is, yeah. Al Albert, what, did you have three movies? No, no, no. I, I hit the wrong button. But, but I agree with the third man, definitely. No question about yeah. it. And Citizen Kane is is a masterful movie. Yeah. Singing in the Rain is fun. Yeah. And you know, I mean, those are those are those are great choices. Um, all right. In in July of 1989, though, we lost two important figures in the movies. <laughs> Lawrence Olivier and Mel Blanc died within a day of each other. And uh, opinion writers across the country came out with articles saying that we weren't paying enough attention to the artistry and genius of Mel Blanc because Lawrence Olivier had died at the same time. And Mel Blanc deserved more of our attention. Now, Lawrence Olivier won three Oscars and Mel Blanc, uh, well, movies that he did the voice for won six Oscars. Now, he never personally got an Oscar, but one of the heads of the studio had died, and his widow said to Mel Blanc, you deserve this, and she gave him an Oscar. So, um, oh, but before we go uh, into the next clip, um, <laughs> Lawrence Olivier, he always had those, like, dead eyes, like he was... Like a snake, he was looking at the world and being disappointed by it. And he was in that movie, The Boys from Brazil, where he played uh, a character based on Simon Wiesenthal, the famous Nazi hunter. And he's he's gone to a prison to confront Uta Hagen, who's playing a concentration camp guard, who's now in jail for war crimes. And she calls him a Jew, something, and you know, basically just uh, despises him and curses him out. And I loved this. I loved it so much I did an imitation. So Lawrence Olivier says to her, you're not a god now, madam. You're a prisoner. I may leave here empty-handed, but you are not going anywhere. Oh, my God, I loved it when he said that. Anyway, so on People Are Talking, my show, we often had the audience come down and give their reactions, and we asked them, which legacy was most important to Americans? Would it be Lawrence Olivier's or would it be Mel Blanc's? This is what they had to say, and they're all characters. Watch this. To Americans, is Mel Blanc more important to us than Lawrence Olivier? Well, Mel Blanc isn't more important than a Lawrence Olivier, but you know what happened? Press agents, press coverage. Really? Sir Lawrence oh. Olivier got much better coverage because he had a better press agent. That's what you think? And that's the reason, yes. Right. yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, sir. My 
my vote. My vote goes for Mel Blank. Mel Blank. I, th I, th I think, I think in a hundred, in a hundred years from now, you'll, you won't be seeing Sir Lawrence Olivier, but you will be seeing Mel Blank. Oh yeah. Oh, I, oh, I, I want, <laughs> I want you to know that Bugs Bunny will live forever. So we have a telephone call right now. Good morning. Where are you calling us from? Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys today? Oh, we're we're good. fine. I'm right. calling from Syracuse, New York. Syracuse. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. Okay. Um, I'm in favor of Mel Blanc because, A, he was a part of my childhood, and I'm 25 years old, and I want my daughter to watch him because I just think he was wonderful. Okay. Thank you for the phone call. Good morning. Is no one here? No one here was tremendously touched by the artistry and talents and genius of Laurence Olivier? Yes, yes. I, I think that the question is throwing me just a little bit because... You reward it however you want. Okay, to. okay, I, I intend you. to because both men were geniuses mm -hmm. on their own and on their own merits. Mm -hmm. And it's like taking apples and oranges. How do you compare them? I agree with you. Yeah. That's I agree my with you. Well, another great actor is coming up next. Jerry Anthony from One Life to Live, Wise Guy in L.A. Law is next. Stay with me. That's not all, folks. We'll be right back. <laughs> oh, boy. Everyone's a character in New Jersey. Uh, but I do have to say this in terms of the durability of what they have done, uh, you know, in the movies, because you got to remember those... You know, I know we grew up watching Bugs Bunny and Elma Fudd and uh, all the others on TV, but those were originally movies uh, shown in a movie theater before the major uh, feature. But as far as Mel Blanks is concerned, I have um, a very close friend who's a doctor. And when I call him, I do say, eh, what's up, doc? And at the end of the show today... <clears throat> I'm going to say, bibbidi, 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 that's all, folks. You're going to leave me hanging here, Albert? I, I, I really, I can't, in, in good conscience, stop the show on that. It's got to be your catchphrase that closes the show. No, well, today I wanted to do something. Do you really than... want that? All right. <laughs> it's up to you. Bibbidi, 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 all my best. <laughs>